This is one of the things that the 43 Group is known by and should be known in the future, that you do not wait to be attacked. You take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you. We do find ourselves in a very tricky situation, sometimes outnumbered. Anything you do to deter people from nasty things they want to do was uh, a good thing. Welcome to episode 38 of Radio 43. This is the anti-fascism podcast from Hope Not Hate. We have been off the air for a few weeks, so um, apologies to all of our, our listeners for that, but it's good to be back. Um, and in case this is your first time here, this is the show where we go over what the far right's been up to, and we provide a bit of intel on, on things coming down the line. My name's Nick Spooner. I've got my excellent colleague with me, Dr. Joe Mulhold. Joe, it's great to see you. How are you, mate? Good to see you. I thought you said ex-colleague then. I thought I just found out I'd lost my job or something. Uh, no, I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Yeah, it's quite it's quite warm up here at the moment. Um, what's it like down in London? Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just back from holiday. I've been away for two weeks. I say holiday, kind of a working holiday for two weeks. So uh, it's uh, it's nice to be back. Nice. Can you give us any uh, information on where you went, or is that strictly? Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's not secret. It's I was in. Uh, I, was, I was in the southern states of America. I'm, I'm working on a new book about um, like radical music that that's used to fight oppression. And I was doing research on kind of soul music, blues music, jazz music, and the civil rights struggle in the in the '60s. So it was a bit of a dream holiday. Actually, you got to visit lots of recording studios, and it was amazing. Sounds amazing. Uh, what's the best thing you ate when you were out there? I mean, I ate an awful lot, <laughs> as you can imagine. I, that was basically all I did. Um, we went to barbecue. Amazing- barbecue food down there is like, amazing, right? Yeah, well, supposedly right, but we kept going to. I was with a mate, and we kept going to like the best barbecue spots in in the whole state, and all this sort of stuff. And they were all rubbish. But I had some amazing fried chicken. We went to like this guy, I think guys fried chicken. It was called, and it was um, I think it was in Memphis. And uh, yeah, it blew my mind. So yeah, the diet starts today. <laughs> you and me both. I had a similar situation in Portugal. So uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, good to be back. And on the show this week, we've got a um, a couple of stories linked to uh, Patriotic Alternative, the UK's most active uh, fascist group, which has ties to the British National Party, and um, as we're going to touch on a bit later, uh, National Action, the neo-Nazi terror group, the band group. And we're also going to take a few minutes at the end to speak about the uh, calamitous situation that Infowars co-founder Alex Jones is in. He's had a well, he's had a real stinker of a, of a week, to be quite honest, and we're going to touch on that a bit later on. But first of all, we're going to kick things off um, with our first story, which is about the uh, far-right and conspiracy theory activists that have been targeting uh, drag queen story hour events. Um, for those of you listening who may not be aware of this, drag queen story hour is a children's event that was thought up by uh, an author and activist by the name of Michelle T back in 2015 in San Francisco with the aim of increasing diversity and inclus- inclusivity. These are events that are usually geared for children between the ages of three and 11, and they're hosted by drag queens who host storytelling sessions and other learning activities in public libraries. And over here in the UK, we've seen a particularly vitriolic campaign that's been ramped up against these uh, these uh, these events, this project throughout the last couple of months. Um, and the campaign has really consisted of generally small protests from far right and conspiracy theory groups, but also there's been some infiltrations, there's been disruptions of events, and also specific targeting of drag queens involved in these events. They've been targeted with these 
baseless claims of, of grooming and, and paedophilia as well. Joe, your team has put out a piece on this uh, on Monday. Uh, so I think maybe let's start with the fundamental question, which is why are these groups targeting uh, the Drag Queen Story Hour events? Yeah. So, I mean, look, this has been a really, really nasty campaign. Uh, and, and it's for a period it kind of was talked about across the whole spectrum of the far right, ranging from Tommy Robinson was promoting this stuff. He was pushing hard on it. He was... Um, you know, he was producing lists on his Telegram channel of all the different events, but also the same patriotic alternative, which should have been at the spearhead of this. Um, you know, it really was one of those issues that really lit up across the whole far right. The Independent Nationalist Network were also kind of for a period on it, and also the conspiracy theory scene. And it's very rare that you get issues where it essentially unites the whole far right. Now, why? You're right, it is a really important question. These things, to me, sound like, you know, quite nice pleasant events about inclusivity there's a few reasons right some are ideological some are practical um if you look at say patriotic alternative the more extreme kind of racial nationalist end of the movement they're looking at this whole thing through that what, what they call the white genocide theory this white you know white genocide ideology i think we've talked about it on the podcast before but it's essentially this belief that jewish people are promoting immigration and progressive causes including of course lgbt rights in this hope to weaken white communities and lower white birth rates right and so they see this as the kind of firstly they just see often on the most extreme end overtly they see homosexuality as what they would call degenerate and they intrinsically linked homosexuality to drag queens and they see it as part of this kind of broad offensive against traditional values broad offensive against uh, what they would see as kind of white identity, traditional, and also traditional notions of masculinity and the like, right? And they see it as undermining it. So there is an ideology there, right? They also, as you mentioned, invariably tie this these drag queen events, both to homosexuality, but also to transgenderism. And, and you know, they'll just mix it all together in terms of, of in their worldview, right? And and for them, especially with the, uh, you know, the transgender issue, as they would call it, um, my colleague Patrick Hermanson's written some great stuff about this. They see it as a fundamental threat to their core notion of, of gender identity, that there is two genders and it really, it really challenges and that those genders have very traditional roles in society. It, all of this kind of feeds into them essentially seeing it as a real challenge to their worldview. But there's also another side to this, right? The campaign is really opportunistic. Again, often with a lot of the kind of wider homophobia or certainly transphobia and uh, this kind of drag, you know, drag queen story stuff, they see it as an opportunity uh, for an issue whereby their positions they feel will align with much more mainstream perspectives. And therefore, it's an opportunity to attract new supporters and it's to uh, attract or kind of gain traction in much more mainstream spaces than a lot of their other ideology, especially around anti-Semitism and the like ostracizes them from the mainstream of politics. They see this as an issue which allows them to, to kind of enter into the mainstream. And if you look at PA's channels, I mean, Mark Collett, who's their leader, has talked really explicitly, you know, he talked for about 10 minutes, he's gloating about media coverage and, and how, you know, public support is garnered for his own groupings, right? So there's a combination here, as I say, part of it is ideological, but also part of it is really opportunistic. Um, and it's the same for Tommy Robinson. I mean, if you look at his Telegram channel in the last few weeks, you know, or he talks about this issue about drag queens and transgender people constantly. He really sees it as a way, uh, as an issue that, again, in some ways, he doesn't see his views as indistinguishable from the right wing mainstream media. Uh, and, and so there's, an, uh, there's a crossover there. And he sees that as an opportunity. And I think uh, it's a combination of those two things. Well, there was a, there was a comment piece in the Daily Mail a few days ago, uh, which absolutely speaks to what you were just saying, which was essentially, 
a slightly watered down version of what what the far right have been saying on, on this. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, there, there's they they are exploiting mainstream kind of uh, bigotry on this question uh, to to kind of gain gain more traction on it. Yeah, they see it as a, they see it as I say as one of the rare or one of the the few bits of their ideological platform that that is widely or they believe widely agreed with or, or certainly is something that doesn't ostracize them from political debates but it actually you know they have similar views to more mainstream characters on it and as such they see it as a way to uh, gain legitimacy essentially but also uh, the way that they frame these debates or, or this this specific discussion is so vile you know as you mentioned this kind of they tie it instantaneously to pedophilia and you know these are these are not new tactics right we know this is that what people did to gay gay men many decades ago you know they intrinsically tied it to paedophilia and so all of a sudden they whip up this storm that you know paedophiles are going in to speak to kids and and understandably people then turn around and say well that's awful i want to stop that and so they frame it in a way that also uh in their view uh, will bring in more supporters because it seems so obvious a position one of the things that's really notable from the the article uh, that was put on the website a couple, a couple of days ago people can go and check that out uh hope not hate.org.uk is the degree to which, as you've kind of already touched on, groups from across the far right and conspiracy scene are kind of coalescing around this as a campaigning topic, and it's been a real flashpoint in that sense. You've mentioned PA, uh, Patrick the Alternative. You've mentioned Tommy Robinson. Who else is tied up in this? So, is there is there are there any other sort of big names? I know there's a few kind of fringe conspiracy groups as well. Yes, there's a few. So I mentioned the Independent Nationalist Network. This is a really small little group. It's it's basically comprised of disgruntled former patriotic alternative members. It's kind of under the unofficial leadership of a guy called Richard Lumby, who, who used to be in the BNP back in Wolverhampton or in Wolverhampton back in the day. Um, and, you know, he's they, they produce their own homophobic leaflets about this and they've encouraged letter writing campaigns. And so, so they've kind of piled in on this. Uh, the British Democrats, again, someone we've talked about for a while, um, they attended some of the protests that happened. The British Freedom Party, again, a, a fringe group that we've talked about lots, which is obviously Jada Franson's group. She jumped on the bandwagon and, you know, she talked about uh, children being groomed sexually by drag queens, reading them stories. Um, and then there's this conspiracy theorist stuff. And, and you know, a few of the big conspiracy theorist groups, you know, Alpha Team Assemble, people might remember them as the group that were kind of training in the woods and, and there was some kind of quite high profile media coverage of them a few months back. Mm. Um, they're really big on kind of confrontational direct action. They were talking about this, um, you know, a guy called Danny Class was amongst, uh, you know, he was down in Brighton doing stuff. There was anti-vaxxers, Michael Shaves and Did they try and citizens arrest one of the, one of the drag queens, is that right? Yeah, so so that like citizens' arrest is you know a big tactic for a part of this conspiracy scene. It's you know uh, you know it's tedious nonsense, but yeah, yeah, they, they absolutely did. And uh, so there's there's it's kind of as you say, gone right across the spectrum, ranging from hmm. the out and out conspiracy scene to the out and out fascist scene, but also to the kind of more general uh, kind of what they would call themselves kind of cult- cultural far right, so Tommy Robinson types, which is more about Islam usually. Um, but this is a big issue for them as well. There's also, just finally on this, there's also, I think in the last few days, uh, been a sense in which people, some of the groups have drifted away because of PA. I think some of them seem to think PA are too toxic. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine being too toxic? For, uh, but yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, 
there's been some splintering. I mean, it was always a bit of an unholy alliance, right? It was always, in some of these demonstrations, there was a real mixed bag on them in terms of who was attending them from across the whole spectrum of the far right. And there has been absolutely people setting out now to kind of distance themselves from patriotic alternative and, and some of the conspiracy groups and conspiracy theory individuals that had been kind of involved have again turned around and said, we don't want any part of this patriotic alternative stuff. So it's good to know that PA is still too toxic for even elements of the rest of the far right. But um, yeah, I mean, it was always going to be an unholy alliance. I think what we're going to see going forward is this issue, obviously specifically around, you know, drag queen story hour will continue to issue, but this wider issue about supposed drag queens, again, tied into a transphobia, um, this will continue to be a big issue across the far right. It's one of those issues that across the whole spectrum, people are interested. So we're going to see lots more of this sort of behaviour and activity. Yeah, one to uh, one to keep an eye on for sure. And uh, I think since we've been speaking about Patriotic Alternative, uh, let's chat about this other scoop that your team's put together um, over the last few days, which is about the organisation's, I guess, de facto number three, Sam Melia, and the connections to the now banned uh, neo-Nazi terror gang, National Action. Um, I think, as David kind of says in the article, this is a bit of a variation on the theme, isn't it? Because uh, Melia has been a constant source of bad press for PA because of his links to national action. And although, you know, Patrick Alternative, they've stuck doggedly to this line that Sam Melia has had no involvement with national action, despite all of this evidence to the contrary. And it now seems that we can put that whole argument to bed once and for all, because... There's some pretty interesting and specific stuff in this new bit of research, isn't there, Joe? Let Tell us first about these uh, Daily Stormer book clubs and what the significance is there, because I think that seems like a good starting point for this, this story. Yeah, sure. I mean, as you say, Sam Melia really is up is chasing Jake Buick for the most embarrassing figure on the far right in terms of constantly being caught out. He really is up there. I mean, we've been saying for ages, we've, I mean, uh, in one sense, this has been proved, right? We've previously proved that he was involved in national action on numerous occasions. We've published numerous pictures of him at, at stuff. But as you say, PA have doggedly, <laughs> in all the face of all the evidence, have continued to claim <laughs> that he is not a member and never has been. And this really does put it to bed. So my colleague, David Lawrence, looked, it, looked into this uh, again, so the Daily Stormer, uh, for the long people who have been like looking at Hope Not Hate for many years, may remember them as as at one point certainly the largest neo-Nazi website in the entire world. It was a huge website. Uh, Andrew Anglin was involved, and and it was based out of North America, and perhaps in the UK it was best known as the place that that set up the uh, harassment campaign of Luciana Berger, the MP. Um, so we were going back through some old scrapes of this, and then Day or David was, and and basically he found. Uh, Sam Melia in those scrapes, completely explicitly saying he joined a local national action branch uh, and that he had attempted to make contact with various groups after its prescription, uh, which happened back in December 2016. Um, you know, he he con- he met and, uh, with numerous kind of key figures, Christopher Ligo, um, Jack Renshaw, you name it. I mean, this is as adamant as it comes. Now, the Stormer, the Daily Stormer, at one point, attempted to set up this thing called the Stormer Book Clubs. And I always wondered if it was based on a model which Oswald Mosley back in the late 40s, he set up something called the the book clubs then. And it was in a similar sort of thing. It, after the Second World War, the British Union of Fascists had been banned. And so they set up these book clubs as a way to organise. And this was a very similar tactic. They were basically setting up decentralised networks of far-right groupings that they called book clubs. 
Uh, and, and, you know, this was certainly a big thing back in 2016. Mm. And they would set up these regional offline meetings across the UK, Europe, the US, and again, uh, Andrew Anglin. And basically, they were designed to, as they explicitly said, prepare for the coming race war, right? Um, now, Sam Media at the time used a handle or a pseudonym called Fething Gaunt. And he attempted to set up his own book club in Yorkshire. Uh, in, in March 2017, he admitted that he was a member of NA. And uh, and that had been, you know, just been banned literally at the time, just a, a month or so earlier. And he literally explicitly says, I'm looking to set up a Yorkshire book club. Um, he also admitted going to something called the Yorkshire Forum, which was basically a splinter of something called the London Forum, uh, which I, I kind of won't get into the details of it. But basically, uh, this is now beyond doubt, right? So once yeah. you add this to all of the other evidence, first of all, we now have explicitly him saying that he was a member of NA. I mean, this goes on top of the picture that we published previously of the demonstration in Darlington, where we've literally have him photographed on a National Action demo, um, and also a meeting that happened on the 8th of July back in 2017, which was after the group's ban. Again, we published this in the Patriotic Alternative Report some months ago. This is the picture of them all sat around the pub table. He's literally yeah. sat there. Lucas yeah. Beckett, Oliver Ashton, Christopher Ligo, Sam Melia's there. Uh, Mark Jones. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, it's cut and dry, been, right? You no, know, I mean, it's, I mean, the thing is, it was cut and dry before this, but now yeah. we literally have it out of his own mouth, um, where he literally says, "I was a member." So um, this is kind of. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see um, Patriotic Alternative try and wriggle out of this one. He was also in a group called Vanguard uh, Britannia, another really really nasty group. Um, Vanguard Britannia was uh, kind of a hugely anti-Semitic group. Um, it was it was rebanded later as a thing called the Systems Resistance Network, which again was has been banned by the Home Office, as it was essentially an alias of National Action. So is that the worked, Alex? Dave, is that the Welsh? That was the Welsh one, right? Alex Davies over in Wales. Is that right? I got that wrong. Off the top of my head, you might know that better than me. I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Um, but again, we've got quotes from him talking about Vanguard Britannia, where he says, you know, they seem pretty on point. You know, uh, <laughs> one of the things actually really interesting is we found a quote where he says, or David did saying, I don't reckon there's any hope through democratic means. I've signed up. This is exactly what's needed. Um, the other thing I wanted to add, actually, is one of the things that PA spend a lot of time talking about is that they're not extreme. That this mm. is a family group, um, that this is a, you know, it's, it's not neo-Nazi, that, you know, they're not, they, they, they ban people for explicit racism and all this nonsense. Now, we knew this was obviously not true. Anyone that's ever looked at PA knew this was not true. Some of the racism that we found for Amelia is remarkable in terms of its extremeness. I mean, if, you know, it's very hard to get more extreme. I won't, I won't say it on the podcast for obvious reasons, but we, 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 there is, if you read the blog, be careful because we, we go into detail of it. But really, really extreme racial epithets against black people, Asian people, you know, name uh, politicians. Jew, Jewish people. I mean, if you're thinking of the worst terms you could possibly use for any of those communities, he uses them. Um, and it really does, once again, just show what hypocrisy or what nonsense actually is, is, is when they talk, turn around and talk about, you know, not being racist. Here it is, the guys, the very core of the entire organisation, um, you know, uh, is right there. See, it's in black and white now on the website. But he's, I mean, just finally on this, but he, he's, he's not the only one, is he? I mean, Mark Collett, obviously... Has said before that he tried to make contact, or we spoke. We spoke. We spoke about that before. We had Alex Davies, who you, was uh, was a member of PA, was involved in PA. Some, yeah, some yeah. So, so another thing that David Lawrence picked up on recently, and, and we published an article again, and that's also on the website. I think that was last month. Um, you know, 
we know that that Alex, da- you know, Alex Davis, who was essentially the, who was the co-founder and co-leader of National Action, was active in Patriotic Alternatives Welsh Branch for over two years. He was at demonstrations. He wrote for the website. Um, so we know that. I mean, there's also other ones. There's Chris Kearns or AKA Charlie Big Potato, as he tragically goes by. Um, you know, he was formerly in PA as the fitness officer and he, he did like the official PA Talk podcast. You know, we know he was a National Action member as well. Uh, there's associates, people like Michael Woodbridge, James Costello. There was, you know, Patrick Alternative is awash with former National Action members. We, we did this, uh, David Lawrence and Gregory, my colleagues, in the Patriotic Alternative report that came out last, it must be end of last year or beginning of this one. Um, there is a whole section on National Action links, but we just could keep adding to it, and I think we will do. The whole party is absolutely awash with people that were part of a, one of the most extreme fascist organisations Britain's ever seen. Charlie Big Potato is a Skunk and Nancy song. I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, he's named after that. I don't know, or if he's talking oh, right. about his testicles. Or who knows? Uh, <laughs> no idea. Who knows? Right. Let's go on to our final story, which is uh, about the Alex Jones trial. We haven't had a chance to speak about this uh, yet, but given it's such a huge story, I think it probably makes sense just to touch on it very quickly. Uh, for those people listening who don't know, Alex Jones is a uh, far right conspiracist and broadcaster. He co-founded. Um, the fake news website Infowars with his uh, now ex-wife um, several years ago. And over the years, Jones has promoted a, a range of pretty wild and deranged conspiracies, such as claiming that the government controls the weather, um, that Lady Gaga's Super Bowl halftime show was a satanic ritual, and also that uh, Hillary Clinton's opening of a jar of pickles on the Jimmy Kimmel show was a hoax to cover up her ill health. And now these are all obviously laughable and ludicrous but he himself is not really a laughing matter he's also promoted much more disturbing and, and dangerous far-right talking points and conspiracies like the um the pizzagate conspiracy he, he promoted that for a, for a long time um, which said that senior democratic politicians were running a, a pedophile ring out of a restaurant basement in washington and ultimately somebody turned up at this restaurant and um and uh, attempted to shoot people inside i believe Joe, you probably yep. clarify on that in a second. Yep. Uh, he's also promoted a host of anti-vax and COVID denialist conspiracies and also uh, the conspiracy which ultimately has led to this court case, which was uh, he, he said that the, the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in 2012, which was the deadliest shooting at an elementary school in US history, was a false flag operation staged by, staged by gun control advocates. Jones, yeah, he's been sued by grieving families of the victims of, of Sandy Hook, and he's been on trial in Texas. And over the last few days, he has been ordered to pay, first of all, he was ordered to pay $4.1 million in compensatory damages. And then he's been uh, ordered to pay $45.2 million in punitive damages, which an absolutely eye-watering sum of money. And I don't know if you caught this, Joe, but there was an absolutely extraordinary piece of court footage where the lawyer representing the parents... He revealed that uh, Jones's lawyer had mistakenly sent uh, sent him two years, two years worth of text messages, which, according yeah, to the I prosecution, oh, incredible! According to the prosecution, Funny. showed that Jones had sent texts about Sandy Hook, and this was really important because it contradicted what Jones had said in the trial testimony, where he said that he had never mentioned the shooting in any private communications, which was the reason Jones gave for why he had never handed over his his phone records. So it's really, really significant. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, an extraordinary piece of footage. Joe, you said you, you caught that already, but I suppose, you know, as an anti-fascist researcher, does the idea of two years' worth of Alex Jones' text messages get you really hot under the collar? I mean, imagine what is on that phone. 
Oh, I mean, look, I would have, I would, it was, I mean, it was a great moment. It's worth watching on YouTube as his face kind of drops as, as he finds out it's happened. I'd, I'd absolutely love to see it. I mean, it's also worth mentioning, right, that Alex Jones has had his uh, tentacles in the UK as well. Obviously, Paul Joseph Watson, one of the most high-profile far-right YouTubers in the UK, perhaps the most, uh, for many years was was worked, worked for InfoWars. And, and so he was having a direct impact in the UK as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the... there's a few things about this, actually. Sorry. I mean, um, in one sense, look, it's great news. It's really great news that, that this has happened. One of the, Some of the stuff that came out was really, really concerning, though, right? First of all, how much money InfoWars was making, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's various kind of figures floating around, but some of the estimates were that Jones was raking in 70 million a year through InfoWars, right? Jesus. And I know, you know, there was rumours many years ago that there would be a um, uh, kind of some sort of branch in the UK more formal than Paul Joseph Watson, or there might be some funding here. I, I don't think that really materialised, but it is a really good example in the contemporary age how far-right figures and conspiracy theorists can rake in vast amounts of cash. So just hearing, so I, I was actually quite kind of concerned just to hear how much money he was making. The other thing that's a bit upsetting or, or a bit worrying is obviously it's great news, the numbers that have been kind of uh, bandied around in terms of what he loaned, 45 million, et cetera. But re in reality, he won't pay anywhere near that, it looks like. I mean, legal experts, there is a cap on punitive damages in Texas of... of, of uh, $750,000, right? So it looks like that, that you know, it'll certainly probably be capped to at least 4.5 million. Jones's lawyers are already saying that they think it will be reduced to 1.5 million. It's still a big chunk of money, but it's nowhere near the 45 million that everyone's saying. And, and now we know how much money he's been pulling in over the years. Uh, I mean, first of all, it sounds like he could swallow a 45 million pound hole if he needed to, but certainly it looks like he'll be able to swallow $1.5 million one if that happens. So absolutely, it's a really important victory. It's really important victory, I'm sure, for the families involved who have had to go through absolute hell, both in, obviously in, in the first instance of Sandy Hook, but then have to be dragged through all of this stuff. And and, and good on them for challenging Alex Jones's vile lies on this. It's absolutely despicable stuff. And, and it must have been so, you know, a huge amount of bravery to go through with it. And so it's a huge victory in that sense. And and obviously Alex Jones has been humiliated in the eyes of the world's media. Once again, that's really positive. But I don't think we should be coming at this from a perspective that says this is going to be a hammer blow against Alex Jones or InfoWars and that they're going to be bankrupt or anything like that. I mean, we're going to have to wait till the judge approves essentially a final amount, which we're expecting quite soon. But it's likely to be much, much less. And it's likely to be the amount of money that he can certainly survive and certainly continue to to pump out this sort of kind of awful content going forward. Perhaps he'll he'll curb what he says, but history suggests perhaps not, as he's been saying this stuff for decades. Yeah. Well, we're, we're out of time. That's all we've got time for this week. So we'll be back in uh, in two weeks. Joe, great to see you. Great to chat. And um, thanks for coming on. And a big thank, to everyone, big thank you to everyone for listening as well. See you in a bit. See you later. Bye. Cannot prevent 50 people, 50 postmen or 50 dustmen from having anti-Semitic thoughts. But you can prevent 50 dustmen forming an anti-Semitic dustmen association. Take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you.